Hey, everyone, and welcome to We Gotta Talk. If you're new to the show, this is an issues-based podcast for curious people who want to see both sides of the story. I'm Sunny, an Emmy-nominated and AP award-winning TV journalist whose true passion in life is asking questions, talking to literally anyone about really anything. Join me each week as we dig in on one topic from every angle and walk away with a new perspective that just might change your life. Now... Let's talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We Gotta Talk. I'm so grateful that you are here. If you're new, welcome. If you've been here for a while, thanks for coming back. We're highlighting some amazing episodes from guests that we had on from season one. And I'm really excited to dig these out of the archives and share with you as we take a brief summer vacation. Because the truth is, we've had a ton of great conversations on We Gotta Talk. And sometimes when they get buried in your feed, you kind of forget about them. So over the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing some episodes from our archives that have performed really well. The MVPs, if you will. This week, we are talking with Sam Tielemans, who is a licensed counselor whose specialty is helping couples heal from pornography addiction. Okay, a lot of people get weird and twitchy when we talk porn, but it's out there. It's everywhere. And no matter how old you are, chances are you have either intentionally or unintentionally come across pornography online. So here's the deal with Sam. He dedicates his work to helping people heal and overcome the impact of pornography addiction. So when we talk with him, we're going to come from the angle of how this impacts couples, but we're also talking about something else that I know is a huge concern for me as a parent, how to protect kids when it comes to pornography. And I'm not saying they never get to watch it as they choose, as they become adults, but how to protect them before they're ready for that onslaught of images, which frankly can be overwhelming even for adults. So we talk about how to set our kids' expectations in the digital world, what to do if they come across inappropriate content online. And then we really drill down on how to heal if you feel that pornography addiction has impacted your relationship. Sam is the host of his own podcast called Couples Healing from Pornography Addiction, and it is packed with tons of great information. So do make sure that you tune into that as well. In this episode, you will hear things like how you can tell if there's a problem in your relationship, Is porn really considered cheating? How to set healthy boundaries around pornography? I ask him if sex addiction is real. I also ask him what is considered an actual addiction to pornography. We also, as I said, discuss how to talk to your kids about realistic expectations when it comes to sex, including a specific book recommendation he has to talk about sex in a healthy way with your children. As always, I will link any relevant things we discuss in show notes. But enjoy this episode with Sam Tielemans. So Sam, thank you so, so much for coming on We Gotta Talk today. Hey, Sonny, it's really good to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. Of course. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. So I guess this is typical when you, when you tell people what you do for a living, people are probably like, Yeah, Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's such a sensitive topic. And so people don't really know how to respond. Right. So usually I'll just tell them I work with couples. So if they want to know a little bit more, but yeah, I'll tell them. Okay. Yeah. That is essentially what you do. Why do you specialize in this particular issue? This is a very modern issue. It seems. Yes. Okay, so I, when I was in grad school, it was a very specific moment that when I was in grad school talking to a friend of mine, he opened up and shared that he had a struggle with this. And I remember when he told me that, uh, my thought was like, I need to learn how to, the, the, like, just like a voice came in my head, almost like a thought of like, I need to learn how to treat this because I'm sure I'm going to see it a lot in the church. So I'm, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. And um, not only is it in, in, in churches and, you know, uh, 
whether it's spiritual or not, I think people everywhere are struggling with this. There's like tens of millions of people across the world that struggle with addictions. So I remember having that very clear thought, I need to learn how to treat this. And so ever, ever since then, my focus has been learning how to help people navigate this issue. Not to generalize, but this seems like more of a guy problem. Sex and pornography addiction tends yes. to my mind. That could be sexist of me against myself. <laughs> Tell me if that no. out in reality too. It's true. I mean, many women do struggle with it. There's a lot of women who do, but the majority in terms of like data, the, it's there's more men that's, that do struggle with it. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, there's so many places to start, but I guess we start with the obvious, which is there are so many ways to get video, pictures, connect with people because of social media and the internet now than ever before. Yeah. So what interests me about this topic is when, when you're dealing with an addiction, say to a substance, you can physically remove yourself in some situations, in most situations from the object of your addiction or desire with pornography, with an addiction to this type of um, dopamine hit that this provides, it, it feels like it would be impossible to get away because we always have our phones in our hands and you know what we can find with one click. So where do you start when a couple or a person comes to you and says, I have this issue and literally I don't know what to do because the internet is everywhere. Yes, no, that's a really good question. And so I think um, one thing to keep in mind is that an addiction is nothing more than a way to cope with pain emotionally. So in other words, like it's a way to distract themselves. And so I think when I work with people, I don't focus so much on like, okay, let's put filters on your phone and let's like give you a, a little flip phone so you don't have access to it anymore. The goal is to really get underneath the behavior to resolve the reason why they're turning to it in the first place. And when you do that, then they can still have access to their phone. They can have internet access and watch movies and do everything that other people do. But the, the pull to go back to it is reduced and then eliminated when they address the core of the issue. So what do you find is the common thread among people who claim that this is an addiction for them? So most of the time when people struggle with this, it's because of like, I think there's two, if I were to funnel everything down to two things, number one, like people lack connection. And when we don't have a sense of connection with our partner or family members or friends, if we feel isolated, then that's a very, like it's such a painful experience for us as people. As human beings, we're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to not have connections. And so when we don't have those, it just feels so overwhelming that we turn to something that we can just kind of change how we feel. So that's number one. Number two is oftentimes that people have like these really uh, harsh beliefs about themselves, such as, I'm a bad person or I'm unworthy, I'm not good enough. And the pain that that causes to our self-esteem, to our psyche, it's just, it feels overwhelming. So that's just another very common reason that drives people to cope with how they feel. Mm -hmm. What's what's a, a trait unique to a person who might be experiencing this that you've noticed? Um, I know you said pain is an issue or a feeling of unworthiness, but it's, it's such a... Um, it's such a very specific problem that an individual or couples would deal with. Um, is it always a disconnect in the relationship? And if so, like, where do you even start with that? Because it feels like you would have to do some, some backtracking to get to the point of how they landed there. Yeah, no, I think for most people, so the average age of exposure to pornography is between nine and 11, just because the internet's everywhere, right? That feels so yeah. young. It's crazy. I know. And, and so, yeah, it's like, so that's one element, right? So they're exposed super early. Then they start to develop a habit, right? It's not like 
a, you know, a 12 year old doesn't usually have a full blown addiction. It's like, they're curious. So they go and take a look and see what this is. And they talk to their friends about it. And like inherently they feel like it's conflicting emotions, like curiosity, but shock. Cause they're not ready to see that. They don't have the capacity to process that. So it just becomes overwhelming, but it still produces chemicals in the body like dopamine and oxytocin, all these feel good chemicals. So if they're in a situation when they're young, where whether there's trauma or they can't talk to their parents about emotions and they feel kind of on their own, this is a very easy way to just kind of forget about how they feel. So I think as that progresses, people get into relationships and then uh, without knowing how to if they don't have the skill when they're young to talk to somebody else about how they feel, they don't magically learn that when they get married. And mm -hmm. so when they're with their spouse, yes, they can have surface kind of conversations, but really letting them in and being vulnerable and telling them about some of their deepest fears and concerns and hurts. If they don't do that, they're still carrying all that pain so mm -hmm. that the same habit that they developed just carries on into the relationship, even though they're, you know, we talk about connection. I'm talking more like on an emotional level. You can have a relationship with somebody and not connect with them. And I feel like many people are in that kind of a situation. That's interesting. And, and I do feel like this conversation sort of dovetails to um, the people watching who are concerned about how this will impact their children, how to raise their children with a healthy use of technology, and then couples. So I'm going to kind of treat this as like two separate tracks that kind of merge into the same problem. But because you brought up the early exposure to pornography for our children, you said nine to 11 is the average age. Let's start there. I think parents everywhere, first of all, just collectively <gasps> choked on Seriously. their pop. Because, you know, nine is young. It was one thing when we were young and the, there was no internet and the most you would ever find is a weird movie on Cinemax or yes. you know, HBO, like past 10. You're and right. <laughs> millions of images that are on your phone. So let's start with a good way to talk with our kids about this because you're saying this and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, have I missed the ball? Like, should I, have I dropped the ball? Should I be talking to my young children about this? What are your thoughts on that? And it so, yeah, that's a good start. question. That's a really yeah. good question. So there's a couple of, there's a, a resource that's phenomenal. So the book is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And um, it's written by the name of somebody, uh, Kristen Jensen. And it's such a good book because it tells parents what kind of language can you use when you're talking to a six-year-old that they'll understand and start to know like, okay, like we should be paying attention to this. So one of the things that she talks about, so I have a five-year-old, we got the book and I'm not some like, it's, again, this is important. Like I'm not some religious zealot that says like sex is bad and uh, this, like, don't ever look at this stuff. And this is terrible. If you think about it, like it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's people need to, kids need to be aware of what's out there because again, a nine-year-old when they're exposed, cause like what you said, like when, back when we were younger, it's like, they might stumble across a magazine. It's a mm -hmm. static image. But now it's like so much of what kids see is violent. Kids have no way to process that. And so letting them know that there's things out there and what to kind of pay attention to, super important. And so when you're very, very young, if you have very young kids, one of the things that she says in the books is she, you can talk about some of the parts of our body that are private. And the parts that cover, uh, the parts that swimsuits cover is what she says. Mm -hmm. Like those are private areas. Um moms and dads can can like help you or doctors like there's there's a, a limited number of people who can um like they, they kind of it, they uh what's the words this it's like they almost there's only a few people who can help you whether it's changing or 
Right. You know, like doctors. I so far as say doctors too. Like I say to my kids when they're getting their physicals and of course their clothes are coming on and off and they're checking things. I'm like, yes. the only reason that this is allowed to happen is because mommy is in the room and yep. it's not because it's a doctor, because some doctors can do bad things too. True. That's true. Mommy is here. So, I mean, even I like that even more. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So good pictures, bad pictures in the name of the book. Such so a good the, resource. Are you talking to your five-year-old about this already in like, or are you just reading this book to her and kind of letting the author do the heavy lifting? Yep. So yeah, I don't have to come up with, cause I don't specialize in working with kids, right? right. So I work with adults right. and couples. So I'm learning too, like what's the best way to approach a five-year-old? Cause I only, that's my oldest. So I'm, I'm new to parenting. So the author does such a good job laying everything out. So you don't have to come up with all these things that you, you know, have to say. Right. I love that. Let's let's start till now into let's move into the the couples sort of part of this. Um, I think we all like to think we're super evolved and we are very accepting of you know anything that are you know it's people's choice to do whatever they want to do. But I'm sure you hear from couples, halves of couples that feel very deeply hurt by their partner consuming pornography extensively. How does a partner know when there is an issue in the relationship and that too much of this is being consumed? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, this is one of the things that's it's so subjective because for some people, looking at all is too much. For other people, if the husband or the, the person who's watching it is more interested in that than the actual partner. So I think yeah. it all depends on how like somebody's values, what somebody believes about pornography. So I think in terms of a relationship, whenever, whenever a couple comes in to see me, it's, I work with their like way of seeing the world. So if the wife says, I don't want this in my marriage at all, then we start there. If she's like, I'm okay with it under these conditions, if we're doing it together or whatever else, then fine. Like, I don't, I don't have any agenda at all. When I work with a couple, it's like, what do you need my help with? Then let's kind of create a path to get there. I have to hop in there because I'm seeing this couple come in conceptually in my mind saying the woman saying, I don't want any of it. I mean, I would imagine that a lot of guys are going to be like, okay, well, that feels impossible. Um, is it impossible? <laughs> or, you know, is it um, too much for one partner to expect her or, you know, his partner to completely stay away from anything that verges on inappropriate? So that's a good question. So number one, like, I definitely think it's possible to avoid pornography. Like it's not something you have to consume, right? Mm. There's, there's tons of other media. And usually when the wife says that, it's because she wants to be the person that he turns to. Right. She doesn't want him to turn to some image on the screen because that often makes her feel uncomfortable and starts to compare herself. And there's no way to compare with these images that you see on the screen. It's like, it's not reality. And so there's lots of false expectations. So if she says, I really don't want him looking at this at all. It's definitely possible for him to not, not be involved with that at all. Do guys ever just completely like, I sound like I'm painting such a horrible picture of men right now, but I'm asking because I have to feel like the, these people are feeling like, okay, that's impossible here. I am fully addicted or fully in a situation where I've been consuming this for X amount of days, months, years. How, what is the first step in pulling that back? Because it feels like this type of a scenario or our partners at two very differing ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on if somebody has like a, an actual addiction or if it's just something that they do when they're bored or want to okay. release like it just depends on what drives it so if it's just like ah oh, you know my partner's not available i'll just turn to this that's very different than like i feel awful about myself i don't i don't have anybody that i can like lean on then they turn to that to cope so it just depends on which which uh 
you know, where somebody is with that. So how do you tell if it's an addiction? I think there's a couple of hallmarks. Number one is if somebody's tried multiple times and haven't hasn't been able to quit. Like that's kind of a and uh, let me actually take a step back. So there's there's a spectrum, right? It's not just like cuz sometimes people will ask, "Well, how many times do you need to look before you're addicted?" And it's not so cut and dry. I think there's a spectrum between like at the very end of the the side of it is no use then use, misuse, abuse, dependence, addiction. So there's like a huge range. So you can't just say like, oh, my partner looks at this once or twice a month, so therefore he's addicted and I can't believe what's happening. It just all depends. Like there's a big range. And again, there's two camps of people. One camp says there's no such thing as a sex addiction. There's no such thing as a porn addiction, right? The other camp says there absolutely is a, a thing such as addiction to a behavior, kind of like food addiction or whatever else the case may be. So it just depends on like, okay, so having that said that first, there's a big spectrum. In terms right. of like addiction though, it's have, have you tried multiple times and, and have been unable to stop? Does it negatively impact your life in terms of relationships and spirituality and financially and um, self-esteem and your ability to achieve goals? So it just depends on how much this has an influence in your life. So when you walk couples through this assessment, for lack of a better term, these are all very um, unique to their situation factors, it sounds like. Yes, I think, yeah. And and a lot of people that I work with, again, when I think of like heavy, heavy addiction, I think about the guy in the gutter who can't stop drinking alcohol and his life is completely in shambles. Most of the time, those people are not coming in. Usually, mm -hmm. it's people that this is has a, a a hold on their life. They've been unable to successfully stop watching it. So they just right. need some help to figure out what's the block? Why do they keep going back to it? Because sometimes people think like, well, maybe it's the willpower issue. Maybe I don't have enough discipline when really there's stuff underneath that that keeps driving them to go back to it. What In the couples that you've worked with, what have you pinpointed as the turning point for people who have been able to heal from this? Is it that person who has the addiction um, identifying their underlying hurts or what, it, what is the key to sort of unlocking the healing process? Yeah, that's a great question. So definitely step number one, they have to be clear about why they're turning to it in the first place. And so once you're clear about that, let's say it is like a self-esteem thing, or they don't know how to let somebody in emotionally. They just have so many walls up. Once you identify what that is, then the path becomes clear in terms of how to heal. It's then, okay, let's get you to be able to start to open up and let your spouse in. Let's start there and sharing some of the things that's underneath the surface and talking about your pain in a healthy way instead of just like numbing it out and avoiding it, which is, again, the whole intention behind addiction in the first place. Gosh, it sounds like when you start this, this is like you have been saying, like a symptom of sometimes a greater issue. This could take people back into like a long period of therapy where they're probably addressing like family of origin issues or feelings of un insufficiency that have been there their whole lives. It sounds like a lot of work is what I'm trying to say. And like, I, I, if I were a, per, a person whose partner was struggling with this and I sat down in your office and you said, well, these are the kind of underlying issues, um, I, I, I would be nervous that it would take so long to heal what's really wrong with my partner that I'd be like, mm -hmm. oh my God, you know, <laughs> just fixed them already, you know, or fixed them. <laughs> I guess it's never that easy. Well, and I mean, the, the reality is it does take effort. It takes energy. It takes intention. It doesn't have to take, you know, two decades. Let's say somebody comes in in their 30s and they've been struggling with this for 15 years. It doesn't take then 15 years to like undo it. 
I think once people get the tools that they need and start to process things in a healthy way, they start to learn how to connect with their spouse. That is the, like, that's really why people are turning away. Like they're turning to the substance or behavior because they don't have those things. So once they learn how to create that and how to have that kind of an experience in their own relationship in a healthy way, then it just, it, it takes its place. That's great. I mean, I, or if you were able to ballpark an estimate of the couples that you've worked with, how many percentage-wise have healed and moved on from this? I know it's kind of difficult to truly understand because you're not living with them or you're not in their brains, but sure. what what would you say the estimate is? Really high. I mean, there's absolutely hope. If there's anything that I want people to take from this, if they're in this situation, if their partner struggles with it or if they take, struggle with it, like I want people to know there's 100% hope that people do resolve this issue and it doesn't have to be a part of their life forever so it's super super high in terms of like success rate mm -hmm. it's just people feel very, very discouraged because if they've tried it on their own to stop and they think like well i should be over this by now why do i keep turning back to this it's just if they don't address the core of it they're going to keep falling back into it but when they do address the the root of the issue which again are a couple of things that we've talked about like then this problem goes away it's not always nagging them it's not in the back of their mind forever so that mm -hmm. i just i want to leave people with the idea that there's there's hope is porn ever a good thing for a relationship so again i think it's very subjective i think there's two camps one camp says it's there's no place for it in a relationship the other camp says like it you know if both people are okay with it then it doesn't it doesn't harm i think uh people in that camp will say it's something that you can do with your partner it's a, a source of education. Uh, the people in the other camp say it's completely false education, though, and it really distorts reality and what healthy intimacy is. So it's very, very subjective. My personal view is that it, 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 it is destructive. I've just seen it too many times to know that this is something that causes a problem in it, and it redefines expectations in a way that they can't be met. And so I don't, I don't think it's personally, I don't think it's healthy. I don't think other people say like, well, it doesn't bother me. It's fine. Then that's, that's perfectly fine too. But those usually aren't the people who come in to see me. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this before we went live and I think my 21 year old self was like, I don't care what my boyfriend, I mean, like whatever you have to do, I, sure. you do you, but you know, as you, as you get into a relationship and you age together and you experience life together, you build a family together, you learn, you know, you change together. I can understand why it becomes more of an issue. And it's not because, Oh, I'm older and my boobs are sagging. Now I'm more worried. About <laughs> like It's about exactly what you said. It's like, Oh goodness, I didn't realize all of the ways that these images can infiltrate someone's mind or or that performative aspect of what you're seeing can can ruin an int intimate moment. Um Definitely. but it takes sort of getting to that point. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of young people are like, what's the big deal? But then you get older and you're like, "Uh, oh, it, it potentially potentially I can see why it be an issue." Definitely. And I think kids, again, teens, when, if that is their source of sexual education, like that's the worst place that they can learn about what's okay and what's not okay. I think there, I mean, there's different statistics on this, but there's so much violent, mm. uh, like aggressive kinds of pornography. And if kids mm. are thinking like, oh, that's just what they do. Like, oh, women like that. It's like, it's the worst place they can learn about sex. And so it's they take that with them. It redefines literally what they think about it and, and like what's okay and not okay in their mind. So they take that into a relationship and their girlfriend or their wife is like, it's, it's just so different than what the reality is. Yeah. I mean, it almost, I guess it's never, obviously never too late to fix anything, but if you're getting these cues and you're developing mind, especially like you, you reference like a teenager growing up and seeing this stuff, 
it feels like an impossible task to keep them away from those images. And the brain is developing so rapidly at that age. Like it feels like any bad thing that they viewed will unintentionally imprint on them. That worries me. It worries me that sure. our, our children are, and in some cases, it's not even them seeking it out. It's like you said, they're seeing it at a friend's house or it's a pop-up that, you know, Twitter, like, can we talk about Twitter being the biggest porn hub in the world? Seriously. Oh my gosh. I know, I get, right? in a newsroom and I'd be scrolling through my Twitter feed and like just boobs would pop yes. up. Yep. I don't click on anything, I swear. <laughs> but I mean, it does trouble me as a parent. I worry that those images will stick. I mean, you know, we have you, we have the book that you recommended, this discussion that we sort of have with our kids young, but what do you suggest to like, as our kids age? I mean, is this something we just consistently bring up and we're like, hey, by the way, if you've seen anything weird lately, yes. that's normal. It's <laughs> a great question. So yes, I can't recommend that book enough, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, because she talks about how to handle that. And it's not that you have to have this, it's gone, I think, from when we were young to having like the big T talk, like you have the one time sit down, you have the talk. It, it's gone from that to like lots of little T kind of talks. In other words, just like discussion. So it's not like you talk about it once and then you kind of look the other way. It, it can't be like that anymore. It's there's it's too prevalent. And so mm -hmm. I think the more parents can have this be a discussion that they have, it doesn't have to be on an everyday basis. But if this is a topic of conversation and you can help your kids understand that there are, again, like good pictures and things that we shouldn't be looking at. And so again, I live in Las Vegas, there's billboards everywhere. And so I wanna get out in front of uh, my daughter or my son being exposed to that and help them understand, hey, there's a, there's a time and a place for that kind of thing. And the best defense isn't to like put the visor down and tell them to look away because mm -hmm. they're going to be exposed to it at some point. It's a virtual certainty. They'll see it at some point. So you want to teach them and have them develop these internal defense mechanisms or internal ways of looking at things so that they're fully prepared that when they see it, they know what to do. They know what to think about it already. So it really it helps you as a parent to safeguard your kid. You can send them out into the world and feel confident they're going to be fine because you've prepared them. Yeah, you're right. There is no shielding anymore. Absolutely. No, there's no way. It's unfortunate in some ways, but I guess you're right. It does force you to equip them and equip ourselves with the only tools that we need, which were, which are internal and like that, that sense of, of value and self-worth and stuff. But man, it does kind of, it just, it, as a parent, it already is such an uphill battle. I mean, you worry about everything. And then, like I said, the, the sort of genesis of this interview was hearing these teenagers talk on a previous podcast that I listened to. And I thought to myself, oh my God, here's another thing that I have to, right. you know, <laughs> you know, worry about. It's like big and right. bad out there and um, I know it was which is super unfortunate because it is like that's the world that we live in now so we just have to then address and get out in front of I think sometimes parents can be really scared to have these discussions because it feels uncomfortable it feels weird but I think knowing that the parent sets the the tenor or the temperature for the relationship if they walk into it feeling super weird and they don't know what to say their kid's gonna just pick up on that energy and like okay this is a weird thing like we can't talk about this but if it's just very casual, and again, this is why that book is so helpful. It helps you know what to say, how to say it, so that when you have these discussions, there's a different energy. It's just like you're talking about something that's neutral, which is what right. we want. We want right. this to be a neutral thing, not this very scary thing for them. Right. Um, shifting back to when you work with couples, what are some of the first questions you ask these partners to, um, you know, each person in the relationship to determine what's really happening? Sorry, that's oh. my line. I'm one of the few people left in America. Seriously. So I think the first thing that I like to do is understand what's their experience. Like, how has this impacted each of them individually? 
how has it impacted the relationship? The more you have a sense of the like how they're internalizing it, because if one person comes in and says, it's not that big of a deal, the other person says, this is like wrecked my world, then you have to approach it a little differently than if they both say like, I've got to get this out of my life. And she says, I want this out as well. And we're willing to do whatever it takes. We just want to get rid of it. So it just depends on what their experience is. But I think understanding the impact that it's had is the first place to start. Have you ever worked with couples who were in the exact same situ situation you just said, which is what that's just for, for the sake of conversation, say it's the guy with the issue. Yeah. Um, like, I don't see this at all. I don't know why I'm here. I mean, that, are, are you able to like write that ship or flip that one around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, problem. yeah, so I think the way to work with that is like, what's his ultimate goal with the relationship? Does he want to have a, a relationship where his wife is happy, where they're connected, where they can feel close to one another to have a good sexual relationship? Is that, if that's the outcome that he has, then porn won't fit in that equation. And he just needs to kind of understand that, okay, in order for him to be with this particular woman, if he loves her and he wants to stay, and this is a deal breaker for him, he then needs to understand that this, if he wants a good relationship with her and to feel fulfilled and connected, this just has to be taken out of the equation. But he mm -hmm. can still get what he wants ultimately, which is to feel loved, to feel like, again, like having a good relationship with her. Many people are, are willing to say like, okay, well, porn's not that, like, why would I give up my marriage mm -hmm. if like porn's the thing that's causing that damage? Again, there's the, again, the difference, like it's, it, so many people, so many women especially, have such a hard time wrapping their mind around in a relationship. My husband struggles with an addiction, yet he says he loves me. If they cannot reconcile those two things. And I don't blame them. I understand that because if she says, hey, please stop, and he says, okay, I will, and then she finds out that he's lying and still looking at it, she's going to naturally think he doesn't care about me. But the reality is if he's struggling with an addiction, it's not that he doesn't care. He just doesn't know how to stop. It's not as easy as put the laptop down or just close the browser. Like It seems like it should be that easy, but if he's been, you know, if this is a habit that's been developing over the course of years, it really isn't that easy. So he just needs the tools to be able to stop. How long does it take to unwind that clock then? Say you have two willing parties, and again, using the husband as an example of the person with the issue, how many, because I know there are some very real chemical processes involved yes. in, in addiction. So how long does it take to unwind that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, uh, so some of the um, addiction researchers and other therapists, they'll say it takes about 90 days for the brain to reset itself. And so, which is like, it's not that long, right? Doesn't it, it's not 15 years, you got to sign up for this thing. It's like, if you do this reset, the brain can start to repair, uh, repair maybe isn't the right word, but rewire. Mm -hmm. The brain can rewire itself and it takes about 90 days, again, certain habits and old neural pathways. It's like the more you use something, the more effortless it becomes. So you can just kind of start to rewire things, but it takes yeah, about 90 days. Why do you think there are so many people out there who have a really um, hard time understanding that pornography can be an addiction or sex can be an addiction? I think, I think one, yeah, there are tons of them and that's fine. They can, they can think that, or, you know, I just, I think the reason why people think it's like so difficult for that to be an addiction is because it's just, it's natural. We're all wired for sexuality where it's like, that's the way that we're built. And so I, I just think it's an error to think that even if it's natural, it can't develop into something that becomes uh, all consuming. Like think about food, right? Food is natural, but people who have an addiction to food or in other words, use it to cope with how they feel and it becomes a massive problem in their life and there are lots of consequences connected to that, 
like it's a it's an issue and and i guess i'm less concerned sometimes when people come in it's like can you diagnose my husband is it addiction or is it not and i guess i'm less concerned with the the, the vocabulary i'm less concerned with the word because i just want to resolve what's causing it so whether or not we call it addiction when i work with a couple it's like that's it's irrelevant to me because i just want to know like what's driving this what's underneath this let's mm -hmm. resolve it and get you guys the tools that you need to really connect with each other. That's like, that's my primary goal. Is there a difference between sex and pornography addiction? I mean, I think it's uh, a different, uh, I guess, expression of it. it. It's the same as like alcohol though, or drugs or Facebook or, you know, food. It's just another way that, that the deeper problem manifests itself. So I guess it's in the same umbrella when, with regard to it being, you know, a sexually driven thing, but it all comes from the same place. That's so fascinating. I mean, God, we're all just like wounded kids walking around. It is. The it's true. I know. <laughs> you know, this makes me like, like I said before, like really like worried about raising kids because you, there are so, I've laughed about this with my friends before. Like everybody will make it to adulthood with some form of damage. It can come from your family, it can come from an experience that you've had in your life. And it's like, you know, you, <laughs> which one are you going to have? It's just it's so, so true. Gosh, it I, really is. I think the thing that comforts me knowing is that like I don't have to like if if as a parent, if the one thing that you keep in mind is that your kid feels loved and they feel important to you, that's the number one like antidote or buffer against everything that they're gonna come into counter with uh, come into contact with in the world. So if they know mom and dad are a safe place, I can turn to them, they have my back. Like that's the safety net that is like so fundamental to who we are and what we need. And many people don't get that. So then they have to figure out how do I deal with the world by myself, which is again, why addictions can start to develop in the first place. Yeah. Gosh, Sam, the, the irony of you working in Las Vegas cannot be lost on sure. you. <laughs> in this industry and in that topic. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a big believer in like energy of places and yes. I, time everybody goes to Vegas it's just like sin oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> you know, like for better and for worse you know it's I like, know yeah crazy. the stuff that people struggle with I know it's it's uh, but again like this message of hope it's it, no matter what people are involved in it's all just a symptom of the deeper thing and once you resolve that like the symptom goes away yeah I mean I I, I do want I do want to hit on that a little bit more offering that um, light at the end of the tunnel for people who may be dealing with this. So you would say to someone who is in the initial stages of maybe worrying that this is an issue in their relationship, what? So if you're in an initial stage that this is a concern or you're worried about this, it's worth first talking to your partner and letting them know how it's impacting you. And sometimes you'll be met with understanding other times you might be met with uh, like minimization where it's not that big of a deal. You're overreacting. It's just, everybody does it. But the reality is if it affects her, then it's going to affect the relationship. Therefore, the quality of the relationship is going to diminish. So I think you start by having conversations and letting your partner know, this is how you feel. This is how you're taking it and seeing if they're open or willing to stop watching and, and um, not be involved in that behavior. If the answer is no, then I think having more conversations with regard to how, like setting up boundaries. Again, there's like, there's a whole process to do this, but I think you set up boundaries then. Like if you, if you can't give yourself to him emotionally because he's viewing this kind of stuff and it's causing betrayal and hurt, 
then I think setting up boundaries can be helpful. So for your own sanity, you can feel like you can create your own safety. You can feel like you can get your needs met independently of having to rely on him. Like you have other sources where you can find that on your own safety. So I think it just like starts with the conversation though. Yeah. As, as it always does. I want to just put a note out there. I know this is a touching topic, but if you guys are watching live and want to drop a question in, I know your face and your profile picture will be by the comment, but um, you can drop in in any way, um, even an email during the live show here, which is we got to talk TV at Gmail and our, our producer will catch it and, and let us know. But um, I did, it's, it's ironic because we were joking about this before we came on live and I said, I got some questions. All of the questions, the legitimate questions that I got were about raising our children to have healthy um, ideas around sexuality. And all of the strange comments I got were like, people like confessing their porn habits to me. You know, I did hear from someone who was like, you know, my partner and I watch it together and it's a way, it's a way for us to have some fun. Yep. Yep. And I think that's, that's when they're in the other camp of it's not a big deal to us. And again, I don't push my, any agenda, even though I personally believe um, relationships are stronger without it. Like I don't tell them, well, you guys need to stop. It's just if they if they come in and say like yeah this is a part of a relationship we're not here to work on that we're here to work on communication then I don't even address the pornography it's just like whatever you do and whatever works for you is perfectly fine it's those people don't come in to address that issue though it's something else they're needing help right. with right what are some of the most common questions you mentioned the one of them being how do I know if this is an actual addiction and kind of people hinging on that word in particular but what are some other common questions you get from couples who are struggling uh, the number one question is why does he do it. The, the spouse or the partner cannot wrap their mind around the fact that they keep engaging in this behavior that's obviously causing damage and pain to her. So she cannot, like, it's so difficult in the beginning for her, for her to get, why does he keep doing this? Why can't he just stop? And that's where I think people, uh, the way to understand the answer to that question is to understand why the addiction in the first place. Like, that's a good question. Why does he do it? And again, the answer is not because he doesn't have self-control or doesn't have willpower or doesn't care. It's what's driving that. Like, I remember hearing somebody say, instead of asking why the addiction, ask why the pain. Hmm. Or you can get into that and resolve that. Then again, the symptom will take care of itself. Right. That's fascinating. Are there any stories or outcomes that stick out um, over the course of the nine years you've been working with couples that was especially poignant or be it difficult or successful? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of there's one um, there's one couple that I was working with where she came in and she had they'd gone to multiple different therapists who didn't specialize in this. And this is again such a like a narrow specialty because if you come in to see somebody who's like, oh yeah, it's not that big of a deal, wife, why are you so over why why are you overreacting? It just reinforces this message that she's crazy. There's something wrong with her. So I think there was a woman who came in and she had worked with other people and she said that they had helped in certain areas, but with this they'd never been able to help. And so helping her husband get the tools that he needed to resolve what was going on for him and help them know how to come back and repair the damage because there's a difference between just avoiding a, a behavior that's that's destructive and like actively connecting and feeling safe and mm -hmm. seen and loved. So helping him get the tools to stop the addiction to then know how to comfort his wife and how to be there and support her. And so through the process, it's just such a cool thing to watch people learn how to have these really powerful moments together and where they feel safe and are able to create that. And so now they're in a completely different place 
because he was able to learn how to resolve the issue and then learn how to connect with her. She started to feel safe and, and they're in a, you know, they literally have a different life together now. That's awesome. It really yeah, it's, is. It's cool to see. It's really what, cool to see. What do you think of that phrase? Once an addict, always an addict, especially as it pertains to this. Man, I like there's some I, I couldn't disagree more. Like it's such a it's so um like there's for somebody to have to struggle with this forever is just simply untrue. And the reason why people continue to struggle with this is because they're not addressing the core of the issue. Many times people will come to me and say, I've been in a 12-step group for five years and I I sit in there with these like veterans who've been there for 20 and they're like, yep, this is just a daily battle when really that's not how it has to be. I think a 12-step group is good in terms of having a community for you to support you, but it doesn't address the root of the problem. And I think that's where this ideology of once an addict, always an addict comes from, is they just think like, well, I've been struggling with this for you know 30 years. This is just how it is. But I, again, I couldn't disagree more because I've seen people go from unable to stop to not even thinking about it anymore, or it doesn't have to plague them because they're resolving, again, what's going on in the first place. That's crazy. And and the, the brain chemistry, the science behind these addiction patterns is fascinating to me too. Like you said, the 90 days it takes to sort mm-hmm. of unwind an addiction. And I'm sure that differs depending on if it's a substance or an, or a, a sure a, behavior kind of, or something. Yeah. What did you learn? Um, you said you were in grad school and decided to study this that really surprised you about how and why our brains become addicted to certain things? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's a natural, so they, you know, there's the reward center in our brain. It's like this primal, you know, do what feels good, avoid what feels bad. Like at the base level, that's how we kind of measure all of our decisions. Is this going to increase pleasure or help me avoid pain? And so when somebody finds something that increases pleasure, naturally they're going to want to go back to it because that's just how we're wired. We want these hits and these spikes of dopamine where like, oh, this feels great. And you can get that in so many different ways. Like you can accomplish a goal and get a spike of dopamine. You can have a, a good conversation with a partner or play a sport or do you know something that you enjoy. So you want to turn back and do more of that. So it's there for a purpose. If though it just kind of, if it gets misused almost where in a counterfeit way, you're giving yourself that spike. Then again, like that's where this disconnect comes in because you turn to this thing. It's an artificial, well, it's like you get the real feeling, but it's an artificial source. So then it like there's no, uh, like the benefits of continuing to do that behavior are not there. So it's mm-hmm. like a, you know, it's a false way to get that reward. And it's a very easy way to get the reward, which is why, again, when there's the path of least resistance and something feels good, it's so easy to just kind of loop and continue to do that. Yeah. I mean, well, gosh, if you can have meaningful progress with people in Las Vegas of all places, I know I keep coming back to that. <laughs> like, I know porn is everywhere. It's on our phones, whatever. But, you know, it really does. It just gives me it gives me hope for people who might be struggling with this. Yes. Um, did you watch or read the book Defending Jacob? No, I haven't heard of that, actually. It's like, I don't want to like spoiler alert anyone, but it's this it's the story about this boy who's accused of murder of another teenage boy in his high school and and in the courtroom scene, they are trying to get into his mind to see if they can like paint him as a killer or as a good guy. And um, the line of questioning starts to set around the type of pornography that he was watching. And it was this like cutting porn, like very physically violent and insane stuff. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I didn't even know that this level of depravity existed. I mean, you know that it does, but like this- 
I mean, does it ever trouble you? I'm sure it does. The types of things that people are consuming too. And I'm sure there are people out there who have noticed their partners being attracted to a certain type of pornography that's especially disturbing and violent. And, and yes. I guess the follow-up question is, how do you unwind something like that that's not just normal sex, for lack of a better yeah. term? So, yeah, and the, it's it's insane, like all of the stuff. It's the, the the rabbit hole you can get lost in. Like if people come in and tell me that they watch certain things, like there's so much out there that's just so, so negative. And so I think, again, this is a part of where I take comfort in this framework that I have where it's, I don't have to spend six months talking about the the, the issue and the specific thing that they're looking at. I think, so there's a book by the name of... Um, uh, unbroken by an author who says that the type of pornography or the type of behavior that somebody engages in is a window into their unresolved issues that just kind of like leads the way. So I, for instance, I remember working with somebody once and he said like his ultimate fantasy was to be on a motorcycle with a, a blonde girl, go off to a secluded place and be able to have sex there. And once we started to unpack, like what's the intention, what's the rationale for that? He said, like, when I'm, you know, when I was in high school, all the cool guys, all the jocks, all the people who I wasn't got the blonde girls. So it was almost like this. It played out as like, I want acceptance. I want to feel like I'm somebody. I want to feel like I'm enough. And the brain kind of wrapped this scenario around how you achieve that, which is not true, right? It's just like this idea of if I get this or if, if this kind of girl likes me, that means I'm enough. So right. it kind of just speaks to the woundedness that we all, like you said, we all have a wound somewhere in some area of life. And I think oftentimes those fantasies can directly connect with what they need ultimately. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Well, we are about to wrap up. So guys, if you have any questions, do drop them in now, but I want to end on a happy and upbeat note, Sam. So give us your best course of action. Let, let's, let's put it this way, because you told us what to do or the discussions to have if you think this is potentially an issue. So let's end on saying, is there a way to like safe proof your relationship? Or is there advice you give the couples you work with who are healed on how to stay on a good course? Yeah, great question. So the number one thing that couples can do is learn how to develop a connection with one another and be able to truly let the other person in and start to be more vulnerable and talk about some of the things that are, you know, th things that they're thinking about, some fears, worries, concerns, hurts. The more you can have those kinds of discussions with your partner, not that you have to be crying every day and talking about that stuff, but just really letting the other person know more about who you are and creating this safe place for acceptance of the person that you are, like the more couples are able to do that, that's the number one way to safeguard the relationship from anything else, whether it's somebody else coming between them, whether it's a behavior or a substance, like creating that acceptance and connection in the relationship is by far the most effective thing somebody can do. Awesome. Well, you are a wealth of information, Sam. I'm so honored that you took some time to spend with us today talking about this really touchy subject. Can you tell us where we can find more of your work and how we can connect with you? Yes. Yeah, so uh, my podcast, like I said, is coming out, which I'm super excited about. It's going to be next week. Um, you can find out more. You can contact me on my website, healingcouples.org. And so there's different information and things on there. And then uh, I'm going to be putting a link for the podcast on the website. Great. And, and are you going to be interviewing couples live or on the show ever? So, yep, I just had an interview last week with a, a, a wife of a person who had struggled, but they're on the other side now. So she actually goes out and gives presentations and things. So, yes, I definitely want to have guests and people who are on there as well sharing their stories. 
I love it. Gosh, I'm all for a person who likes to lift the veil on these things. I feel like, you know, people shy away from these topics, but no one, we can't, we have to be a little comfortable being uncomfortable and your work is a testament to that. So um, thank you again for spending time You're with welcome. us. welcome. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate well, you having me on the show. Thank you See so you later. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and follow along on Instagram at Sunny Abata, S-O-N-N-I, A-B-A-T-T-A. All of the latest blog posts are at wegotatalk.com slash blog. Hey.